Morning everyone and very welcome to our service this morning and it's lovely seeing the sunshine isn't it? Beautiful spring weather coming in um, and could I just make any visitors that we have with us this morning very welcome, you're very welcome and you're very welcome to stay behind, we're going to have a cup of tea and coffee afterwards a wee bit of fellowship so you're welcome to stay behind for that. Also there's a couple of announcements I have to make. Um, just want to emphasize the family service next week. It's a service a wee bit different. You saw last week, and uh, we're looking if any children or any young people want to do anything, be a part of the service, whether it be a drama or a bit of poetry or singing or whatever you want, uh, it's your service. And uh, please let me know, though, in time. And uh, also, can I just ask people to make sure everybody knows about the family service? And uh, I'd like children to, uh, to bring with them a prayer that they would like, something they would like God to answer. Uh, the prayers of the children are very, very important. And we're going to pray for the things that the children ask us to pray for. That's next week. So, and a few more surprises as well. Uh, Life Lounge next Sunday night is at half past seven with the worship team uh, waiting for Sophie. And I think this time we're going to uh, listen a wee bit and interview the, the actual members of the band who play for us see where they come from and what's their background and testimony and so forth. So that should be a good night next Sunday night. Um, okay, just I want to make uh, clear that after the children's hymn this morning, all children are very welcome, whether you're a visitor or you belong here, very welcome. Go out the main doors uh, to, into the vestibule and someone will lead you to Sunday club. Okay, or any children between uh, zero and three years of age are very welcome to go to the creche, which is out there on the left, which is starting up again. We just need children. And, uh, <laughs> but Denise O'Neill and Cardi are, Karen Cardi are very well, are, easy, are willing to do that uh, for us. Um, so, just to let you know, and there's a couple more announcements as well. Uh, with regards to committee meeting, there'll be a committee meeting on Tuesday night, uh, 22nd of March. It's in here at half past seven. Um, the committee election, voting for the committee election begins today, and it'll run for the next two Sundays, uh, closing at half past 12 on the 3rd of April. And voting papers are available in the vestibule at the back there. And it's hoped to announce, we're hoped to announce details of the new committee to the congregation on Sunday the 10th of April. Uh, with regards to the Ukraine appeal, thank you so much for uh, your generous giving over the last couple of weeks. This is officially the last day to give to the moderator's appeal for Ukraine. And uh, so far, um, there are 2,065 pounds have been donated in the last couple of weeks towards Ukraine. And we thank you so much for that. And envelopes are available in the vestibule. And, uh, you know, if you have forgotten any money today, you wanted to bring some, you want to give it next week, the envelopes will still be there. You want to throw them in, uh, that'll do great because, it's, as you know, it's a very, very needy cause. Um, so I think that's all of the announcements. Um, so I just want to start our service this morning by reading Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have someone there in the, in the in Lord Jesus Christ who can identify with what you're going through, identify with your needs and your fears, and uh, he's wonderful. Um, so let's just, let's just pray this now at the moment. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ, and we thank you that he is our great high priest, and he's not a high priest that dies, and we need another high priest. He's one that is there continually, and he's been here on earth. He pitched his tent here 2,000 years ago, and he knows what it feels like to have pain. He knows what it feels like to grieve. He knows what loss feels like and hurt feels like, and Lord, we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that as we worship this morning, that we might bless your name, but also, Lord, that you might touch our hearts by your Spirit. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to sing, uh, we're going to sing, Behold the Throne of God Above. I'd like to read from Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. 
Uh, If you have a Bible, please open it and uh, follow with me. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that was the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the Word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, I wonder, can anybody tell me what, what the link is between a fishing rod, a jiff lemon, and a tent peg? Does anybody know the link between a fishing rod, a jiff lemon, and a tent peg? I'll come down here so you don't need to stretch your necks. Anybody? I'm going to tell you a wee story. My dad and I, we used to go most Wednesday nights when spring days came like this. We used to go to Castle Welland Lake to fish. And uh, my dad made me in charge of the sandwiches every time. So, do you know the Vita? I love Vita, even to today. He liked a big slice of Vita, and then on top of the Vita, butter, and then on top of the butter, honey, and then on top of the honey, banana, and then on top of the banana, sultanas, and then another big thick crust on top of that. Now, when you're putting the, the, the worms on the hook and everything, so you get a mixture of Vita and worm, and it's great. <laughs> it is absolutely great. But in Castlewell, and I don't know if they still do it now, but they used to use a jiff lemon for a float, which was brilliant. You just stick a wee piece of wire on the top. You fill it with as much water as you want. You don't need to wait. And so when you cast your, your line out, it goes into about the middle of the lake, and it's excellent. So my dad decided to invite his friend along, and his friend had never fished ever before, ever. And so he had helped him buy a rod and the reel, and all the stuff was brand new. And uh, he took his, his rod, and he did his first cast that he'd ever done in his whole life. And as it cast out, the line broke for some reason. And it went smack down into the water. And the worm must have landed practically on the nose of the fish, because even though the line was broken, the fish came, took the hook, and this lemon float went right under and then came back up. It was like Jaws. Do you remember Jaws? Where you pierced a shark and this first barrel, big yellow barrel, went off. And that's what it was like. And that night, we could watch this float going around. Sometimes it would go down, but he would get too tired and he couldn't keep it down. And it would come back up again. And we watched it come the whole way around the lake. And it was about 20 to 11 at night whenever we're about to pack up and my dad said, there's 
there's the actual, there's coming into the side of the lake. So we looked through his fishing bag, and his fishing bag's a bit like a woman's handbag. I don't know how he had a tent peg in it, no idea what that was for, but he took the tent peg out, and he tied it to the end of the rod, and then he held onto a branch over the lake like this, and managed to hook the line in. And it was a lovely, beautiful rainbow trout. Beautiful rainbow trout. So that's how the link was between a fishing rod and a lemon and a tent peg. But I want to tell you about the day that Jesus went fishing, because it was amazing too. Now, he came down onto the Sea of Galilee, onto the beach part, and people were following him. About 100, 150 people standing on the beach, and Jesus was at the shore, and he was nearly getting pushed into the water. So we got into Simon's boat so, and said, Simon, push this out a wee bit. So it pushed it out a wee bit, and then he was able to speak to everyone on the beach from the boat. So once he had finished his wee talk, then um, he said to Simon, who became known as Simon Peter, he says, take us out into the middle of the lake. And Simon's still wiping his eyes. He says, I've just been, we've been out there all night. I'm going back to my bed. And he said, no, take us out. Take us out. And he took him out and he says, now this is where, and he told him now where to put the, the nets, what side of the boat to put the nets on, where the fish would be. And they did that. And the fish that came into the nets, they just piled, they were jumping into the nets, and there were so many they had to get another boat. Come on, come here. They got another boat, and still both of the boats were practically sinking. There were so many fish, and Peter knew this was a miracle. He knew it was a miracle, and he, he bowed before Jesus. He realized he was something really, really special. And he says, you know, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said to him, um, hold on a minute, <laughs> that should be up. Is there a slide there? Yeah, there we go. Jesus said to, to him, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that's really strange, fishers of men. And what he meant was that he wanted Peter and all of the fishermen to follow him and to go and share the message of Jesus Christ with everyone. There's a wee song, an old-fashioned song. It says what they do is they bring them in. They bring the men in. They put them onto the sound of the gospel. They teach them the truth. They, it says they shake them up. They wake them up. They teach them the truth. And then they're thrilled with God. And then they're filled with God. And then they send those people out. And that's what we have to do. That's what our responsibility is. We are fishers of men. And when people come to faith in Christ, then we teach them the Word of God, and then we, we, we get to the point where they're filled with God, and they're thrilled with God, and then they go out as fishers of men, and they go as fishers of men to, to schools, and they go where, if they're in schools as children, they're fishers of men in schools, or fishers of men, or fishers of women in universities, fishers of men in their job, fishers of men in their neighborhoods. And, uh, and that's, that's the cycle, and it has been throughout the generations. So each of you, you're fish, whether you like fishing or not, you are a fisherman, you are a fisherwoman, and there are people in your community, there are people in your job, there are people in your lives, in your families that I can't reach, that only you can reach, and that God can use you to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Uh, okay, so we're going to, there's another thing that Jesus says, not just about fishers of men. He says that we are light. We are light. We are to be light. In other words, we are to guide people and some people that are going to head down bad paths that are going to hurt them. We are to be a light. And he is our light. He's the one that we follow. So we're going to sing a song now, which I know Karen's wanting to teach you in a number of weeks' time. But we're going to listen. We're going to stand up and do a few actions. I know the actions basically of the chorus. Not sure the rest of it, um, and I make up some, but who cares? <laughs> but you can you can get the gist of it. It's called My Lighthouse. Okay, we're going to sing that. And it's great to see this wee group back this morning. I asked them, can they dance? Are they willing to dance? And they are. So, okay, let's let's do this then. Let's stand. In my wrestling, in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. You are the peace in my troubled sea.
you can get your inhalers right now. <laughs> okay, so the boys and girls are going to go to Sunday school or Sunday club now. If we have anybody for Chris, it's out there on the left-hand side, and you're very welcome to join them. Okay. Let's take a moment to pray. Let's just still our hearts before God. Be still and know that I am God, he says. I will be exalted above the nations. I will be exalted above the heavens. Father, we want to remember people this morning who can't be here this morning. Father, who'd love to be here, but are either very vulnerable or, Father, who are ill, but their, their hearts are with us. Lord, I pray that they would not be forgotten. I pray that they would never feel forgotten. They are a precious people to us, Lord, and we just wait for them to be able to come back and return safely and join in our Sunday morning worship. But I pray, Father, that even if they're watching online at home, that, God, your presence would be in the living room with them. Uh, and, Lord, that they would know your strength and your peace and you around about them. Father, we pray uh, against this new, new variant, Father, <clears throat> this Delta Cron, and we pray, Father, that we die a death Lord, you are sovereign. You are God. We pray in Jesus' name that it would die a death. And Lord, that people might be able to get back to quality of life that you want them to live again. Father, I pray this morning, just uh, I pray for Simon Mills. We church up there. And Father... I pray just help them at this moment, having lost two people in the past week. Father, we just pray that you'd give them strength at this time and give those families strength. Father, we want to pray for Ukraine. Father God, King of all nations, we cry out to you now for the people of Ukraine. We ask you to rescue those who are vulnerable from the hands of their enemies that they may live without fear before you all their days. Father, our politicians are predicting the biggest war in Europe since 1945, and we simply cry out to you urgently to write another story in our time. 
thwart the dark machinations of evil men. Give wisdom beyond human wisdom to peacemakers, seeking an equitable and less violent way. May politicians exercise the wisdom from above, which is peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, and full of mercy. Father, we pray for the church in Ukraine, a nation in which 70% of the population call themselves Christian. Give our many brothers and sisters in that nation courage in this crisis that they may proclaim the good news of your kingdom, bind up broken hearts, and bring comfort to all who mourn. Father, you who make wars cease to the end of the earth, you break bows, shatter spears, and burn shields with fire. And so we ask you now to save the lives of many people in Ukraine. Make a peace that is strong and not weak. De-escalate this crisis. We hear of wars and rumors of wars, but you, Lord, are our rock, our fortress, and our deliverer. Our hope is in you. May the nations be still and know that you are God. You will be exalted among the nations. You shall be exalted in the earth. And we ask this in our Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing a, 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 and just to settle our hearts before we come to the Word of God. And we'll be look, looking at the cross this morning a good bit. So we're going to stand and, and sing that beautiful hymn from Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.
continuing our series this morning on Philippians. Um, as you know, next week it'll be diverting from it. It'll be family service. And then the following week after that, we'll be uh, looking at uh, sharing worship together, what it means to share worship together, young and old, and different styles, different types of worship, and what is important in worship. So we're looking forward to that too. But we're going to look at Philippians this morning, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2 verses 5 uh, to 8. Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And this is the word of God. So I just want to look, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to, it says 11 up there, but it should be 5 to 8. Um, I'm starting in verse 8. Um, starting at the end, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In Mark 15, 24, uh, we're told simply, and they crucified him. But do we know what that entailed? I, I read an article re recently by, written by a doctor who describes the process of crucifixion and what it feels like and how it affects the body over time. And I'm going to read it out to you now. I'm going to take my time reading it out, and I hope you can picture accurately uh, what crucifixion was about. The cross is placed on the ground, and the exhausted man is quickly thrown backwards and his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist, and he drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side, and he repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex and movement. The cross is then lifted into place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot, and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified. And as he slowly sags down, and more weight on the nails in the wrists, excruciating fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. And the nails and the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight of, on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of his feet. And as the arms fatigue and cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs but not ex exhaled. He fights to raise himself 
in order to get even one small breath. And finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he's able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a deep, crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It's now almost over, and the loss of tissue Fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. Finally, he can allow his body to die. That's what the doctor wrote about crucifixion. And all of this, the Bible records with the simple words, and they crucified him. What wondrous love is this? What amazing love to stand between us and the judgment of God. I'm going to ask you a very silly question, and it is silly, basically because I want you to feel the impact of this. Has anyone ever done anything like this for you before? Of course they haven't. But let's go back to the beginning of our passage this morning and progress uh, through the verses. We're told in verse 5, let your relationships or in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Or as the King James Version puts it, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, we were looking last week at one of the internal problems within the church of Philippi uh, was that there was a group that were were focused on being perfect. A a group of people who thought they were better than anyone else. A a group who looked down on others, who were were seriously self-righteous. You could say snobby. And we saw how Paul tried to set the church right by speaking to them of humility, value others greater than yourself. Now he says, in your relationships with others, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In Matthew 20, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, we have the mother of James and John. They approach Jesus And they're asking for privileged positions for her two sons in the kingdom of God. Uh, Please let them sit one on your right side and the other on your left side. And when the other ten disciples find out about this, they're none too pleased. And Jesus gathers them then all together, and he points out that they're misunderstanding what the kingdom of God is about. Yes, in the world, he says, those in leadership, they lord it over others. 
They do. They lord it over others, and they look down on others. But that's not how the kingdom of God operates. He says, in the kingdom of God, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And he says, take me, for example. Jesus says, take me, for example. My role upon this earth is to serve. He says, I didn't come to serve. Sorry, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So then they arrive in Jerusalem, and some theologians believe that the tension was still in the air there when they arrived in Jerusalem for the last Passover that they'd ever shared together. And uh, they, 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 they hire out, they get the loan of this room to share the Passover in. Uh, they all know the custom of washing feet uh, before the meal. It was usually the, the, the job of the host's servant, or if the host's servant wasn't there, then the host himself. But because it was a room that they'd borrowed, there was no host and there was no servant who, who was going to then do the job of washing the feet before they have their meal. So they all sit down. They all know the procedure. They all know that someone should be washing the feet. But they decide in their own heart, I'm not doing it. I'm better than that. I'm not doing it. That's disgusting. I'm not doing that. I'm not the servant. And in spite of Jesus' talk with them, they think to themselves, I'm more important than that. I'm not doing that. So they sit and they have their meal and all the, their, their feet as they say in Northern Ireland, were minging, stinking feet. Some of them probably didn't have shoes. And if they did, it was little sandals where the sand would get in. And anything else that they walked in along the lane or paths would have got in between their toes. And we didn't smelly feet. So they're sitting, trying to enjoy their meal with the smell, this aroma, the stench. But yet they're too proud to get up and say, listen, I'll do it. They decide, I'm not doing it. I'm more important than that. So then after the meal, Jesus gets up and he ties a towel around his waist and he begins to wash their feet. If you were there, wouldn't you feel totally embarrassed? And, and Peter is. Peter's totally embarrassed. And he tries to stop Jesus from washing his feet. He knows he should have been doing it, but his pride wouldn't let him. And Paul writes... With regards to Jesus, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What Christ has done should change our whole mindset in how we treat other people. Now, the next verse in verse 6, Paul, Paul writes, who being in the very nature of God, that is Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Or the New King James Version says, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. You know, it's not that Jesus was like God. Jesus was God. The writer to the Hebrews says, the son of the radiance of the glory of God, that's talking about Christ, that he's the son of the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. 
But even in eternity, before coming to earth, we're told by Paul he didn't use his nature as God to seek his own ends. You know, what a contrast to those in the church who were looking to be ambitious and perfect and, and you know, look at me, I'm that great. No, in contrast to that, Jesus, even in heaven, didn't take advantage of the fact that he was one of the Godhead. He didn't take advantage of that fact, even in heaven. Rather than seeing his nature as a reason for staying in heaven, he saw his nature as a reason to come to earth. Because only one spotless lamb of God could do the job that was needed done at Calvary. And in his nature as God, he recognized, I'm going. I need to go. Verse 7, Paul writes, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. It's amazing love. It truly is amazing love. C.S. Lewis writes, Christ, by becoming man, limited the thing which to him was the most precious thing in the world, his unhampered, unhindered communion with the Father. In other words, coming to earth meant that he couldn't have that close connection with the Father. Yes, he could pray to him, he could meet him on the mountain, but he didn't have as close a connection to him as he would have back in heaven. And he limited that, says C.S. Lewis. And Christ became a participant in our own human experience. He knows what it feels like to hurt inside. He knows what pain feels like, what loss feels like. He knows what it feels like to be poor. He knows what it feels like perhaps even to be hungry as they slept under the stars at night. He made himself nothing. It's not that he became humble. He already was humble. But he went even lower than that. He made himself nothing. Let me remind you, of the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. And the Hebrew word for esteem is an accountancy term, and it means to total up the value of something. And the people were told by Isaiah, the people totaled up the value of this stricken man and found he was worth nothing. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Which brings us back again then to verse 8, the last verse that we're looking at this morning. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. His obedience to the Father's will took him into death, even death on a cross. If you knew that was God's will for you in the future, that if a road you went down was going to bring about a premature death, would you walk it? But that's where his humility 
took him. He knew a job needed to be done, and he's the only one who could do it at Calvary. You know, when you're in the last moment of your life, you want your family around you, and you want it to be as dignified as possible and as pain-free as possible. But this, this couldn't have been any further from any man's dying wish. Yes, his mother was there, but the pain, the pain as I've read out to you earlier, it was shocking to be crucified. The Romans wouldn't even do it on their worst folk, on their worst Romans. The Romans wouldn't do it on their own people. It was too horrible. It was too horrific. In fact, the cross was a serious warning. Anybody walking past Calvary and looked at the cross and anyone being crucified, it was a warning by the Romans, watch yourself. Use Jews, watch yourself, or you could end up there. It was horrific. See, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flew mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crime? Around Jerusalem, there was a rubbish tip, and it was, it was just how they how they dumped everything, but it was continually on fire. They kept it on fire all the time, day and night. And it's called, Jesus referred to it, Gehenna. It's called Gehenna. And it's this rubbish tip around Jerusalem. And that's how people got rid of their rubbish. They dumped their rubbish there, and it was burnt continually. But it was also where each body, each criminal that was taken off the cross was dragged over to this Gehenna, to this rubbish pit, and thrown in with all the other rubbish. And that's where Jesus' body would have been taken off the cross, and he had been taken over to this rubbish pit and thrown in with, everybody, with all the other rubbish, with all the rubbish. Only for God had this plan that that wouldn't happen. But that Joseph of Arimathea, who was a rich man, would come and ask Pilate for his body and take his body down and bury him in his tomb. But thankfully, Jesus only needed to rent it for three days. Isaiah 53 verse 9 predicts this, and they made his grave with the wicked. In other words, with those that were being crucified, criminals. But with the rich, Joseph of Arimathea, had a bob or two, but with the rich at his death. So let me just finish by asking you, uh, asking you a question, this question again. I know it's a silly question. Has anyone ever done anything like this for you before? It's a silly question because we are, here we have a saviour standing between the judgment of God and you. And he's in the middle, and the judgment of God is there, and the judgment of God comes and hits him and avoids you. And we're told that when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that's what is real to us. That is what salvation is. That's why we need a saviour. 
Someone once said, and it was anonymous, but don't know who said it, but it's very applicable. Someone once said he came to pay a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. He came to pay a debt that he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. From washing your feet to going to the cross in your place, he'd have done anything for you. And today, he does want to do something for you. And you be, could be sitting here and you've been thinking maybe the last number of years about giving your life to Jesus Christ, but you've kept putting it off and you've kept putting reasons in front of it. Why not? Why not? Oh, I'll wait till I'm older. I'll wait till I'm retired. Don't wait. Why can't you have a relationship with Christ now? Don't wait because you don't know what's around the corner. And I'm very happy to talk to anyone after this service or any service if you want to give your life to Christ. Very happy to lead you there. And I'm telling you, you will not regret it. It doesn't mean your problems disappear. But it means you have someone who feels your pain with you and he's with you in the nighttime and in the daytime. And Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus wants us to treat each other as he has treated us. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for what you've done. Lord, we're coming up to Easter, and we've celebrated Easter how many times? And Lord, forgive us because we hear the message of the cross and we've become hardened to it because we've heard it so much. Lord, I pray, penetrate our hearts this Easter with the message of the cross and may we see just how much love you have for each and every one of us, that you'd have washed our feet or gone to the cross, whichever we needed. We thank you for that incredible love. And we thank you, Father, also for, for what you went through. Because I know if it was my own son, I'd be in agony just watching and holding back. We thank you for what you went through. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for leading Jesus all those days through the difficult times and bringing him to the cross and bringing him through the cross and out the other end. We pray, Lord Jesus, that if there's any folk here that need to get right with God, that they would, that they wouldn't put it off, not for even one more day, not even for one more hour. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, just before... Uh, let me see. Just before... Uh, we sing our final hymn, The Servant King. Just there was, uh, it, it was, it's Anne and Brian Fitzsimmons, 60th anniversary. So we wish them a very happy anniversary. It's today. So um, I hope that you are happy to stay behind. If you don't feel content yet, be, stand behind. 
uh, for a cup of tea, that's grand, but uh, you're very welcome to stay behind for a cup of tea and a biscuit. Okay, so let's stand and sing the Servant King. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and remain upon us and with us until Jesus comes again. Amen.